Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Tim, I had to battle you on this, but I'm going to give in. You apparently want to tell a story about the game that shall not be named. Yeah, so I just want to tell you this, this story of Super Bowl 42. This was the year that, uh, what, I guess is 07, perfect season for your New England Patriots, all the way into the Super Bowl. And, of course, they wind up losing to the uh, uh, Eli Mannings uh, in out of New Jersey. So thanks, thanks for a reminder. That was good. Yeah, yeah. So to to lead into our guest today, Laura, she does not follow sports in any way. So right. the Super Bowl was not any kind of sacred place, right? So she has no idea. So she schedules a meeting with uh, one of our potential clients in Australia, and she sets it for Monday morning <laughs> Australia time. <laughs> <laughs> now this thing exactly coincides with the first quarter of Super Bowl 42. Oh, so I'm doing a presentation to Australia. The family's downstairs watching the Super Bowl and I want to get down there and see this perfect season that wound up not happening. So that's that's who we're talking to today. She has absolutely no concept of New England sports. So my reference to New England sports is about all you're going to get on this show. Um, actually, I don't have any concept of sports, period. <laughs> so, so with us today is Laura Dye. Uh, Laura and I worked together for the better part of eight years at Spotfire and then kept kind of a running running uh, conversations going over the years. I've been looking forward to having her on mainly because the crap we got into and the stories we told and the pranks we played, it was just a good time. And then I think everybody would kind of enjoy the early Spotfire days and what it was like, uh, the struggle getting Spotfire into what is now kind of a ubiquitous application in the industry. So anyway. Wow. So I, with I, that, never, I never realized, I'm sorry to cut you off there. I never realized that it was a struggle because my exposure to Spotfire was the established data analytics and reporting and BI platform. No, 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 my friend. Laura, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, they, had they had never heard of us. Spot what? Wow. Yeah, is that a verb? Is it a, what yeah. is it? Is it Spotfire? Is it Spitfire? Um, I actually got a call back from the guy that was the VP of exploration at, um, gosh, Unical. And the only reason why he called me back, I was so impressed. He, I, it was my cold call. He called me back. And the only reason why he called me back is because he had just been to Australia and visited a vineyard that was called Spotfire. And that's who he thought really? was calling him. <laughs> so, yeah, it was the, the thing about Spotfire, which, again, I think everyone knows now in the industry, it was a struggle. There was no category for analytics. It was... There, there's no place to put it. So no IT department had a place. All right, we're going to bring in anal an analytics engine. Now, of course, everybody's talking about it. But at the time, it was a crazy struggle to even get started with Spotfire. Laura, were you um, were you in Houston with, yeah. with him at the time? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had been working um, for Landmark and then I joined Spotfire. And what was that like? Because Landmark to me has always been, uh, what's the word I look for? Geocentric, to be nice. Um, primarily maybe the, um, nerdy types, just, no. just spitballing here. <laughs> Not at all. No, no, 
no, we had a blast at Landmark until Halliburton took us over and then yeah. it changed a bit. That was a little damper on the party, but no, uh-uh. we had a great time. But yeah, it's geocentric. So then I just jumped off and, you know, went to Spotfire and everybody thought I was crazy. So I was at Spotfire for, I guess, probably it looks like on the timeline, about a year and a half before you showed up, Laura. Uh-huh. I wanted, so you don't know this or nobody knows this, but Jeremy and I had a plan to talk about 9-11. We had a special broadcast. We'll probably do it next year mm-hmm. where we're talking about what were we doing on 9-11 and that kind of thing. And I was just kind of running back to the story of how we, the two of us, separately were at the SEG in San Antonio, a big conference for geophysicists in San Antonio, and what it was like being on the conference floor. And I think we met you at the first the first time there. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark had brought you over, and we were starting to re- the recruiting process. Do you do you remember that that episode and what we were trying to do on the show floor that day? The episode, I mean, well, I- or not not that episode, our episode of meeting each other on the show floor. Well, I mean, it was awkward, right? Because it was a big, you know, I mean, it was always awkward, but anyway, um, you know, because it was a big tragedy, right? Um, And, you know, so I think, I don't know. Maybe We were all, everyone, you can imagine a convention of 8,000 people standing around looking at a screen, trying to decide, are we going to try to sell something to these guys? Are we going to just sit and talk about what's going on? And, you know, and then Mark sees Laura coming down the aisle, brings her over and we're sitting there. And eventually we start turning into things that, you know, we all do. And we started telling jokes and yucking it up and making fun of people. And we're sitting here trying not to laugh too loudly because that would be inappropriate. But it it is such an awkward thing to do at that particular time. Yeah. And Laura's first she walked up to the booth and she said, we had, uh, we had done a room drop for marketing people at Spotfire. That was where you go in and you put something in everybody's room who's attending the conference. Yeah. And she walked straight up to me and said, how did you get in my room? <laughs> <laughs> that was so impressive. Yeah, we, oh, I think we put... Bed. Was that where we put the chocolates down there? Yeah, you put the chocolates. I mean, it was a turn down service and you put Spotfire medallion chocolate on the pillow. Oh, it wasn't like you just slipped something under the door. You actually no, went into the no. room, you creep. Well, I, you know, I didn't know. I don't know the. I didn't know the mechanics of it at the time. But it turns out every hotel has this option. You pay pay enough, you can do a room drop, and it's the maid service, turn down service comes in and just puts that stuff in there. Ah. It, it's just it, that easy. It was fascinating. So, Laura, I got a question for you. Did you? Did you grow up in Houston? Or are you a Texas gal? I know you live in North Carolina now, but why don't you tell me a little bit about? Tell everyone a little bit about your your upbringing, your early life, and then uh, a, a little bit of Spotfire career and, and why you're out near Boone today. Okay. Yeah. Well, you hesitated when you first started. You said, you know, when you grew up, uh, did you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Um, yeah. So I was born and raised in Houston, and my father was a petroleum engineer. He worked for Quintana. And um, so, you know, born and raised there, lived there most of my life. Um and got involved in geology because I went to college and I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing. So I knew it was math and science. Uh, and um, let's see, 
I did a number of things. I mean, I, I didn't have a, I had a circuitous path. Okay. Um, I ended up going to Stephen F. Austin or, or I went to school in the East, as I like to say. Um, Go lumberjacks. Yeah. It was East Texas. And um, I, I ended up going to, uh, you know, uh, on a geology field trip and they were just the wildest, funnest people I'd ever met. And so I figured I'd met my match. And uh, my sister was also a geologist going through the department at the time. So I uh, did that, graduated, couldn't get a job. Um, you know, the joke at the time was, how do you get uh, geologist attention? And it's you snap your fingers and you say, waiter. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that. I like it. It was, it was, uh, it was bad. It was bad. So anyway, um, let's see. I, then I decided, you know, I, I wasn't going to go back and get my master's degree, which is what most people were doing at the time, um, you know, sheltering in graduate school. So I decided that I was going to go to medical school. So I took all, I was a biology minor. So I took all the prerequisites for med school, got ready for the MCAT. And, uh, and then I, and I, I realized that Dr. Die probably wasn't a good career move. So I, I, Dr. I, Die. <laughs> I, I dropped that one. And, uh, and then I ended up starting a wholesale bakery um, in the Hill Country, and, uh, which was great. It was like, you know, uh, uh, my practicing MBA. And I did that for a number of years and ended up selling the business, um, moved back to Houston, and I got involved with a former um, classmate at Stephen F. Austin, and he was uh, running a consulting company, an environmental consulting company. So I did that, and that was really, really boring. I was going to save the world. <laughs> um, and then you end up reading the Code of Federal Regulations, Section 40, and it's like, you know, watching bad paint dry. Ooh. So. Uh, so I called up a good friend of mine who was working at Landmark and said, I want to get in the oil business. And so she got me an interview and I got the job. So I was a technical consultant, which is um, you know, pre-sales technical consultant. <laughs> that brings me back to early in my career where I, I introduced my, I guess, sales engineer or technical consultant as my technical engineer. Uh -huh. And everybody just sort of paused and looked at me like, it kind of means the same yeah, isn't thing. Isn't that the same? Like, <laughs> I'm doubling down on it. He's a technical engineer. Okay. <laughs> but so, so after, after that, right. After the geology gig, yeah, you went over to landmark and then Spotfire. Is that the sequence of events? I went over to landmark. I was there for about six years and then, uh, yeah, it was a great ride. It, it was a really good time, um, for landmark. It was before Halliburton bought us, although I was there for a while and after Halliburton bought us, but, um, Really just a great group of people, some really good technology, great marketing, lots of fun. Did that for a number of years, but it was a big company and I yeah. uh, just got tired of that. And so um, started talking to a mutual friend of Tim and, and mine and who was at Spotfire and kept in touch with them for about a year. And then I just decided to make the leap and people thought I was nuts, absolutely crazy. And uh, but I just, you know, I just dove right in. It was a great move. Yeah, going from the big landmark to this unknown spot fire that, you know, we were struggling to get, you know, again, get attention to anybody. But so <clears throat> I want to give you a perspective of, of I'm going to brag on you, Laura, just a little bit. So, oh, good. yeah, <laughs> so, Laura is, is the best salesperson as a technical engineer, as you like to say, Jeremy, the best salesperson I ever worked with on building relationships with the clients. She always 
you know, she, she walks in and it's a, it's just a yuck, yuck fest. We're just yucking it up, having a good time. Everybody's laughing. And, you know, before long, we're actually trying to sell something, but the whole thing, she's got relationships up and down the hall and very tight relationships with the decision makers throughout that whole thing. So it's been a, from, from a salesperson perspective, very impressive to watch her work and develop relationships. That's why Spotfire took off, quite frankly. Really? Because this is something Tim had mentioned to me. You know, we, we go through our notes like a week before, a day before, usually three minutes before, let's be honest, the podcast. And one of the things that Tim said that stuck out about you is that you, Laura Dye, are the best relationship builder he's ever seen in the sales world. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to just let you off the hook for that. I want to know why. And Tim, you've got to answer a little bit of why from your seat and being in the same rooms and being at the same company. But Laura, what is it? Is it just that that's you and your personality and, and you befriend people and, and build relationships and, and that creates business? Or, or were there some, some tips and tricks you can give to our audience? Because we've got a lot of young people out there that could really use some advice on how to build relationships in the business world. Well, I mean, it, you know, for me, it, I never consider myself a salesperson. That was my first sales job, actually. Um, I, I just, I, I was really more on the support side of stuff, but um, it's just being authentic. You know, I mean, I am what I am. I am who I am and I don't BS and I like to have fun. I mean, that's, that's critical for me. And that means if, you know, I'm, I'm walking into a business meeting or, or whatever the case is and, I think people pick up on that. And, and as a result of that, it's easy to build trust. And it's really all about building trust. And that comes with being authentic and being sincere and not trying to sell, you know, somebody a bag of goods. And, and, and the other, you know, part of it too, especially with Spotfires, we had really good technology that we were very proud of. So, um, you know, we stood behind it, makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And I think when you're on my end, because at the time I was a technical guy, I was, I joked that I was Laura's caddy. Now, Laura knew just as much about the software as I did, but, you know, we had this role play that we would do, you know, she, I'd make fun of the salesperson in the room and and so on. But when you're watching a master relationship builder work, as soon as the meeting starts, it's like everybody's friends. Yeah. It's, it's no longer, no one's changing voices or talking. It's just, Hey, we're friends. And it's all honest and all believable. And, and, you know, it's fantastic. That, that meeting that we started off the show with, with us, with almost said the company name, don't want to do that uh, in Australia, you know, (laughs) it started with just, you know, two people, Laura and our contact talking about it. And um, you know, it went from there to a seven figure deal. It went from, you know, just a light conversation to a seven figure deal in what, two, three months, Laura? It was longer than that. It started out, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then at the, we gave them a trigger point. And then six months later, they went for the big enchilada. But yeah, well, I know. Hold on. I'm going to tell the story a little bit differently. Now, <laughs> Jeremy, have you, have you ever been to uh, one of those, you know, the sales meetings where they bring everyone together and they hire a motivational speaker to come in and chat everyone up? Is, I have. Sometimes it's a success. Sometimes it's yeah. miserable, but yeah. You know, at Spotfire, we, we had, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, 50 salespeople and 15 to 20 technical guys. And they, they took us all out to Scottsdale, Arizona. You remember this, Laura? Oh, God, yeah. And so <laughs> our sales, VP of sales at the time, I'm going to use the term just because I think it's fun. Laura used to describe as a penis with ears. Okay. <laughs> I hope he isn't going to listen to this, but let's just leave it. At that. Anyway, 
<laughs> he brought in his good friend and sales mentor. I, I forget his name. And the whole motivational speech was, Jeremy, just add a zero. If you got a $10,000 deal, add a zero and go for a $100,000 deal. Just add, <laughs> see what happens. Add a zero. So we're, we're about, you know, six months later and Laura is joking. We're talking about that. And she goes, I didn't add one zero. I added two zero. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all because of this uh, me missing the first quarter of the Patriots uh, game. Take one for the team. At a $37 oil, you add half a zero. People are like, whoa, what's that? What are you yeah. doing there? <laughs> Get out of here. So, no, that that makes sense to me fundamentally, Laura. I still think that there's more. I think you're holding something back, but I'm not going to call you to the carpet on it. I, I do think that creating that comfort, and I even wonder if it's if it's doing something that's not necessarily business related, right? Uh, like Tim, and I noticed this with Tim. Tim would often be, he was my boss, and he was the VP of U.S. operations. His daughter said he was basically the president of the United States with a title that important. But either <laughs> <Yeah>. way, <laughs> he, was, he was still the demo guy in a lot of the situations. And I just thought it was it was just so natural for Tim. He would come in, and it was never the radio sales voice that oftentimes I would <laughs> dive into that I think I've gotten past. But it's it's just a lot of things. And that, that comfort level, joking around, did you watch the football game last night, whatever it is, and you sort of vet your audience. Sometimes people are just buttoned up and they don't want to talk to you. They want to do business. I guess you mirror that. Do you feel like that was a strategy you had or was it, no. this is me, this is my show, this is how I do it? No, I challenge that actually. Nice. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, come on. You know, you wake up, you put your pants on the same as everybody else does, right? And and so, uh, you know, I, I challenged that when people were real, you know, sticks in the mud, and and I think they appreciate, you know, appreciated that, and 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 they lightened up. It's all about lightening up. Plus, you could relate to geologists. Yeah, yeah, they got real boring as they got older. But anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs> well. Like Oh, they, they had, you could hear their sandals under the table. No, you know, I remember giving a presentation and looking at this room of, of geologists and I thought, my God, when did you all get so boring? You know, but anyway. <laughs> and you thought reservoir engineers were exciting? Oh no, not at all. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So how long were you at Spotfire? I was there for 12 years. I swore to myself that it was going to be a stepping stone. I was going to stay there for two years. I was going to go to bigger and better things. And then I just hit my stride and we had a blast. We had so much fun. It was, you know, more than the law allowed, literally. At time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the thing, we had built a very good team here in Houston that was kind of selling oil and gas. And yet Spotfire, when, when they started, it was a niche player in pharmaceutical research. And so they kind of took a risk to go into oil and gas. And I was the number one first employee in oil and gas. And then we kind of grew it from there. But the team we built was so strong and had such a good time together that it was really interesting when we got the whole company together, there was a team within the, the whole team. And Laura was a linchpin of that because she's the loudest. <laughs> And, you know, we would have just, you know, it'd be, it would be, they would, in Spotfire was Texas versus the other team. So if there was a paintball war, it was, all right, let's put all the Texans over there and everyone else will go against them. Texas versus Taft, as you called it 20 episodes ago. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. 
Texas versus Tab. This ain't fucking Texas. Yeah. So then, Laura, you, you're, a, you're a Texan, right? Did a lot of business in Texas. Yeah. Right? Went to school in Texas. Yeah. And then something changed. You yeah. ended up in the foothills of the Blue Mountains in North Carolina. I am in Western North Carolina in the middle of nowhere, and you can't find me. <laughs> um, and so how does that happen? Well, I got... Um, so I'll make it as short as possible. We were going to do what everybody else was going to do. We lived in a neighborhood, 1950s. Everybody was scraping and remodeling the house. And we were saving our money to do that. And then one summer we went to Colorado and I just came back on the plane and I said, I can't do it. I said, we got to go. We got to take our money and, and go buy some land somewhere. Nice. And so um, my brother-in-law had, um, had uh, in-laws in Spruce Pine, which is south of us. And he said, you know, you need to go check out North Carolina. So um, we did. We came up. It was a peak fall um, uh, weekend and um, football season and and football weekend in Boone. And uh, we went to the first piece of property that we saw in this area um, that a realtor had selected for us. We picked out a bunch of other stuff. And that was it. We fell in love. We... um, we flew back to uh, Houston on Sunday, and we put an offer in on Monday, and that was our first trip to North Carolina. Wow! So, what's the what's the airport like? What are the do you, is Asheville close by? What are the Asheville's is, about two and a half hours away. Yeah, I have to go to Charlotte. It's about two hours and fifteen minutes away. So there's there's just nothing close. I mean, that's sort of like me, growing up in New Hampshire. Definitely the boonies. I mean, not Boone. Like you're a, a boonie now. I guess mm-hmm. literally, you're a boonie, but. <laughs> You know, it was far. We had Manchester Airport, maybe an hour ten, but that didn't fly too many places. Boston was a solid two hours, which is is far enough that you really have to make the decision when you get there. Like, am I staying here for a day or two, or am I really just trudging up to the country tonight? Yeah. Yeah. What, Laura? Once you walk uh, Jeremy through your criteria for picking a town in North Carolina to look for, there look we for go. A place. Well, we did, we actually did some, you know, some, some work. Um, We, you know, weren't targeting North Carolina solely when we first started, you know, with this down this path, we got a, we got a, um, a map, put it on the, of the United States, put it on the wall. Everybody got to walk over and X out any, you know, state they refused to go, go toward, uh, go to. And, and then I, I looked at environmental stuff, climate change stuff. And, um, but, uh, well, I, I don't know if I can say that. Um, so my husband, I asked him, I said, you know, or my, my daughter, I said, where do you want to be? She goes, we've been to Aspen, right? She goes, oh, I just, she was a little at the time, right? She didn't realize how ask, how expensive Aspen is. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like to have a little place like Aspen, you know, where you can just walk down on the way to school and stop at a coffee shop and, you know. <laughs> okay, great. And uh, so I asked my husband, I said, well, you know, what about you? And he goes, well, you know, I'm kind of like Catherine. I kind of want to be close to the community, connected, maybe, you know, not, not in a, not near a city. And, you know, and so they said, well, what do you want? And I said, I want to be able to walk out my front door naked, not see a single person. Yeah. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, there were the, the other, I was, I wasn't fishing for that, Laura, but thank you. I was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was fishing for the proximity to a home Depot. That was one of the criteria. Oh yeah. And, but no Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that tells you something. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I don't know where the nearest Starbucks is to my folks home either. It's gotta be 40 
miles or so. I mean, that's, that's legit. Yeah. So we were going over the list of stuff before we started this show, but you're a full on farmer now just about, aren't you? Well, I mean, yeah, we do. We, you know, so we live in the Appalachian mountains and we have one growing season. We grow a lot of stuff. Um, we can, we freeze, we store, um, we are really fortunate. We can, you know, eat local, um, probably about 80% of the food that we get. Um, but yeah, we, we grow a lot of our own food. And the other thing, Jeremy is her husband is a chef, right? Oh my God. Yeah, so the, the fresh food combined with his, his skills, that's a pretty special thing. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, I love Northern California. Shout out Chico. I'm sure Sebastian, my buddy who owns two bars, one of which was on diners, drive-ins and dives. Um, still not open because of COVID. Oh yeah. The Banshee, it's the sweatshirt I'm wearing right now. He, um, I mean, he's always said, he's like the food out here is just so unbelievable. You drive through the, all, all the almond farms, you got peaches, right? Everything. I mean, the garlic is fresher, everything. It's just sort of next level. And it's, it's got to be some of the best food in the country just because of how fresh you picked it off the tree that day. It, it comes to your oh, yeah. a restaurant and you cook it up. It's something else. Yeah. You know where your food comes from. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. And, and it's, and it's literally field to plate potentially in just a couple of hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So you're, you're living it up in North Carolina now. I want to, I want to take you back a little bit. The... We have a running bit. We started this uh, podcast year, you know, all, well, six months ago with, you know, we were going to tell funny demo, demo stories and stupid crap that happened to us and all that. And I did tell the story of uh, our mutual friend uh, <laughs> falling down in the middle of a, of a presentation. <laughs> oh, she was there for that? No, she wasn't there, but she got to hear Joseph and I talk about how badly we laughed when he went down. So anyway, so that made the, you know, demo failure list, but it wasn't us giving the demo. It was our friend. Uh, uh, well, you know who it is. Um, <laughs> my wife is very concerned that one of these guys eventually is going to be listening to the show and actually recognize that it was, it, he was part of the failure. But so Laura, what, if you can think back landmark, Spotfire, post Spotfire, Siemens, whatever, what's kind of the, the funniest stupidest, silliest kind of demo failure or sales presentation that you remember? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, can I say a company name? Why not? Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. So this was after you, Tim, and I was at Oxy and uh, we had a a meeting to show um, um, a new technology that we had acquired. And uh, and there was very limited people that could, could demo it. So I got all the big heads into a conference room and um, the guy that was presenting was remote and an incredibly, incredibly intelligent person. Worst demo person ever. And so (laughs) we, we, uh, you know, started the presentation, they dimmed the lights, this guy, you know, gave them the intro he starts doing his demo, and I mean, it is literally one of those things where, you know, he's going file open, okay? And then, you know, through- There are three options under edit. There are three options under edit, and oh my God, I didn't know that feature was even here. 
much less that it worked. I'm not kidding. Right. Wow. He said that. He really did. And he, he's just a nerdy guy. And so at that point, the guy, I mean, and this kept going on and on, like, I didn't know that was there, you know, and um, it really works. And, 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 um, and he was laughing, you know, and so anyway, the, the guy that was in charge of putting everything and getting all the key heads together, he pushes the mute button on the conference, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the conference table, right, the speaker. And he looked at me and he said, who is this guy? And I was so mortified. I stood up and I said, I don't know, but I'm going to go walk out to the break room and have a glass of wine. <laughs> By the way, it's 1030 in the morning. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, at the uh, at the end of all my demo failures, when I describe them, someone always asks, did you close the business? Oh, that? Um, no, we, we had to work a little hard after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, was some, there was some clawing back to do. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't I, a slam dunk. And I, can, I can say this, too. That Tim would always speak so fondly of his colleagues at Spotfire, and there were lots and lots of stories, right? But I could just see it, honestly, when, when he talked about getting you on this pod or he talked about a story of somebody in Las Vegas hanging out with Michael Jordan all night randomly. Peter. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Allen, I believe. Uh, it, t- his eyes light up, you know? So I know that was a special part of Tim's life. And that was part of why I wanted you to, to come on this because it, it's meaningful to him for sure. Oh, hey. I mean, we were tight. We were all tight. And I think it was a very unique time with, you know, the people that were there. It was very unique in terms of the technology and getting into the industry. And it, it was it was the best part of my career, honestly. It, it was a it was a blast, and we're all still very close. So, and, and we we had a, we had a great time. We played pranks on each other. That was the part that was interesting. We were all working remotely from our homes, but when we got together. It was just you we know fun. Yeah, and I'll tell I'll tell this one story. Our boss, John Denning, you know we he's, he's, we like, oil, that, he's like oil and gas tech famous. I feel like well, he's got the name I've heard a lot. He's been around, you know, but that's not the part of this. But we we discovered one day that we would go see Oxy, since someone mentioned their name. We'd go see Oxy, and I would do my presentation, and Laura would do her part, and then we would get in our cars and we would drive home. We learned that he would call one of us and get the story and then immediately call the other to find out how it went. So when we figured that out, as we're leaving Oxy, we would concoct two completely different stories. So it would be a, you know, it, it, I would come in, Laura would be, Oh, it's great. We're going to close that business. It's going to be seven figures or whatever. And then I would come back and say, ah, this is never going to happen. You know, it, it, we completely destroyed it. And, you know, it took a little while, but he finally caught on that we were just playing him the whole time. Do you remember that Laura? Oh God, we did it all the time. We were always, we were always, you know, yanking his chain. I, I mean, I used to joke up and I used to joke and say I would wake up every morning and see how could I fuck with him. Every- <laughs> well, so- but it was like, what can I do today to mess this guy up? Right. And it, it happened all the time. I remember when John figured out that we were pranking him on these, you know, when he would do the calls, you know, one thing was annoying that he's going to call both of us, call one of us. You don't need to call both of us to get the story. But anyway, so when he found out we were pranking him, then he went in cahoots with Laura and start, and they reversed the whole thing onto me. So it was just the way it was. 
Well, listen, I'm going to cut this off, but the biggest prank's actually been on you guys because we haven't been recording the whole time.